0: I'm going to be talking about how to fast, the purpose of fasting, the lessons we can learn from fasting all through the year. But I want to give you some keys about this very important thing of fasting. We do have a lot to fast about. I think you're all familiar with the fact, of course, just a little over a year ago, we had this horrible tsunami going through Southeast Asia, and about one quarter of a million people were killed. One of the greatest tragedies of modern times, anywhere in the world, then more recently, we had four hurricanes sweep through Florida and killed quite a number of people. Then Katrina came along most recently and killed, as you know, so many thousands of people, uh, when you not understand well, certainly around a thousand or over a thousand older not as many as they thought, but a lot of people were killed, and I think the toll is probably going up more. still they're finding dead bodies, and it was called the worst natural disaster in U.S. history. And then Rita came along right after that. Now they're talking about, of course, a terrorist attack on the New York subway. They might happen yet this weekend. That's what they're worried about. And now, of course, the Avion flu is constantly being talked about on television, on the radio. I heard them talking about it on our local news station. And here in our local paper yesterday and today, just yesterday, the Charlotte Observer had this great big banner headline and this picture fear of bird flu justified question mark and they show of course how many millions died of the flu back in 1918 terrible plague coming on and how this is very similar and how they've traced that flu back there partly to what bird how birds may have been involved and the beginning to think the same thing is underway and it's impossible They've admitted that to fully protect us from it. They cannot fully protect us from it. But they're trying to get a lot of vaccine and hope that that will do some good if they manufacture the right kind of vaccine, and they can't be sure of that, and if they get enough manufactured in time, and if they get it distributed in time. But it could kill different reports that come out from different experts. You know what an expert is, don't you? An expert is a drip under pressure expert expert. (laughs) A drip under pressure. (laughs) So that's the definition of an expert. But anyway, the experts in the field have cited numbers ranging from 150 million to 360 million human beings who might die worldwide if this avian flu hits big time. That's a big if, of course, but they show that could happen. Around one-third of a billion human beings if it hits big time. And so we need to understand that we are living in the last days. These things are really beginning to happen. And now, of course, what has already happened, if you've been reading and hearing the uh, news on your radio or TV, I should say, this morning was not in the paper because it just happened. They had a 7.6 earthquake hit over in Pakistan near Islamabad, and they're still counting bodies, and they say they're over 2,000 kill so far for, year, for, for sure and more. They say there may be many thousands who will have been killed over there. You say, well, that's always over there. But brethren, remember when the Bible talks about earthquakes to come, he doesn't say the earthquakes are just going to hit in modern Ephraim and Manasseh. He talks about these things happening in various places. And they are beginning to happen and they are beginning to increase more than they have ever done in modern times. And that's a fact. The things that I've been preaching about and writing about, brethren, for over 53 years are finally all coming about. And it's very exciting for me. I think I've told you that before. My children find it hard to be excited in the same way because they didn't go through all this year after year, decade after decade, waiting. And now this is all unloading upon us. But these things are beginning to happen. And so we are in the last days. Turn with me to Luke In your New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. Luke 21, verse 7, breaking into the thought Jesus here was giving... Luke's account is giving the what we call the Olivet Prophecy. Matthew gives it more completely in a certain way, but Luke gives other details, and I want to use Luke. They ask him, saying, "'Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place?' Matthew has them asking, "'When will this be in the end of the age?' And, of course, he's answering that question, too, the end of this age. And he said, take heed that you do not be deceived. Many will come in my name, Christ's name, preachers and teachers, religious teachers, talking about Jesus, and will deceive not a few, but many. But when you hear of wars and commotions, don't be upset. These things must happen. Then nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, world wars, as we've explained. And verse 11, there will be great earthquakes... Not small earthquakes. He specifically in Luke says great earthquakes in various places. Not just here, but various places. And they are hitting terribly as we saw the one over in Iran a few years ago and the one down in Mexico a few years ago and all the other places they're hitting. Great earthquakes and famines. And now we just got a report day before yesterday from Mr. Bruce Tyler in Australia talking about vast areas of Queensland are in a terrible drought condition affecting the crops already and we know that as I've already reported to you and we're not worrying about that most of us it hasn't hit big time but there is a general condition of drought and about the western southwest quarter of the United States the southwestern United States and the scientists have proved it's been going on for over 400 years the tree rings and other ways they have of testing, so the water level is, is worse, it's w- dropping, dropping, dropping. So when big-time drought comes, which it is, the, the fastest-growing mid-sized city in the United States is Las Vegas. <laughs> they call it Sin City, Las Vegas. And you can imagine what's going to happen to the hundreds of thousands of people there as they get their water imported. Also Los Angeles, of course, the biggest one of all, and San Diego and that whole area plus the earthquakes that are hitting out there. And we're going to have drought and other things like that here too. We're not rejoicing in anything happening elsewhere. I'm just saying those things are happening. And famines, so the drought would lead to famines, of course, lack of food, and pestilences. That means disease epidemics. avian flu, and as you know, AIDS, this terrible sexual ec- epidemic, is really how it started out, through sexual habits that break God's laws. That's spreading and actually decimating entire cities and sometimes entire nations in Africa. And they are literally dying. A whole generation of young people is dying out down there, and most of you know that, because of their sins, and they haven't been taught the truth. They've had all these Protestant uh, missionaries and Catholic missionaries, and they have not been taught... To obey the Ten Commandments. They clap their hands and, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. That's what I used to do in the Methodist Church. A lot of them, that's all they know. All over Charlotte tomorrow, they'll be clapping their hands and singing, talking about Jesus, Jesus. But they do not know and they do not understand the Christ of the Book of Revelation. They do not know and they do not understand the Christ of the Bible, who said, if you would enter into life, keep the commandments all ten of them. And he began to name some of the Ten Commandments and showed by his life and by all the rest of his teaching, he meant all ten of the Ten Commandments. They don't understand that and they don't teach that. They don't get at the cause. They just try to treat the effect by various vaccines and shots and mixtures of, of drugs to treat the AIDS after people get it and all that kind of thing. Terrible diseases. Terrible diseases. And there will be fearful sights, and as I've mentioned to you here, the word terrors is used in the Greek, which can include terrorist activities directly. Luke is using a word that can mean terrorism, and we're going to have a lot more of that, perhaps beginning even yet this weekend. We don't know. And great signs from heaven. Christ said those things will happen just before he returns. And then he says in verse 25, And there will be signs in the sun, moon, stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, he says, people all disturbed and so on, uh, distress among the nations, the sea and the waves roaring. If you would talk to some of the people who just experienced that down in New Orleans and the Gulf Coast, I think that would make a very vivid impression, the sea and the waves roaring. Those people who are affected by, of course, the tsunami in Southeast Asia. The sea is a powerful thing, and the winds are a powerful thing. When they're combined, it's frightening. Those things are going to get much, much worse, and I'm not talking about 20 or 50 years. I'm talking about the next 10 or 12 years of your life. This is your life. And, of course, he talks about men's hearts failing them for fear, And the expectation of those things which are, they're not about to or might, but are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heaven will be shaken. The true Jesus Christ of the Bible says, this is not little Lord Jesus away in the manger. This is the Christ of the Bible speaking. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. After these signs occur, then Christ comes back as King of kings to straighten out this earth completely reconstitute this earth, the society, the politics, the wars, the way of life in every facet. Now, when these things begin to happen, and brethren, they are beginning to happen. Should we be in sorrow? Should we be in fear? No. When these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So we can have confidence we can be encouraged because these things are pointing toward the ultimate deliverance when Christ comes back as king of kings. And he spoke a parable, look at the fig tree. When it's already budding, you know yourselves that summer is near. So likewise, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation, we're in that generation, will by no means pass away, till all things are fulfilled, heaven and earth will pass away. He's speaking very powerfully here as the one who created the heavens and the earth. For God created all things through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3, verse 9. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, or will by no means pass away. So these things are beginning to happen, and certainly within a generation, within 25 or 30 years, And I'm quite sure far less than that, I'm sure less than 20 years, all these things will have been wound up. And as I say, within the next, you know, five to 15 years, these massive earthquakes and disease and all that will be underway and perhaps even finished because they're going to begin probably in six to nine years from now. So we have to understand and yet have the big picture so that we can have the right attitude and not fear. Atonement is coming soon. A day of fasting, a day of introspection, a day of repentance, a day of preparing one's heart for the kingdom of God. So I want to help all of us learn more about a special key, and about how to fast and the purpose of fasting all through the year. And I hope all of you will learn that key, because most of you should fast, frankly, all through the year. Some of us try to fast about once a month. Some may do that more. I know during some of the trials I've had, I would fast two or three times a month for many months when the work was coming apart and I was crying out to God, God, please show me, help me understand. I would fast, and I don't mean with orange juice. I fasted with nothing but California smog. (laughs) I was still in California, so I guess the smog may have given me some nourishment. Who knows? But I didn't (laughs) drink any water or any food, that's for sure. My title is Fasting and Seeking God, for you note-takers. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 9, brethren. Daniel, if you would, chapter 9. And you remember this basic fast from uh, Daniel. It's very famous. Daniel 9. Here's this great man of God who was beloved of God. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hazareus of the lineage of the Medes, made king over the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books, of course, the books of the Bible, some of them were already written, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord given through Jeremiah. So Jeremiah had already indicated, you can go back and look up the reference here, perhaps in your margin, where Jeremiah had prophesied a 70-year captivity of Judah, that he would accomplish 70 years in the destruction of Jerusalem. Here they were getting near the end of that time, brethren. That's the key. And Daniel thinks, Oh God, how long? How long? Here Jeremiah, get the picture. He's over in this pagan city. He might be, you might say in Berlin, Germany. He's surrounded by German speaking people, people of a different language, a powerful, big bone, warlike people. And he's, a, he's afraid humanly. But he trusts in God, and he says, "Oh God, how long are your people going to be in this captivity? Here you've got us over here in Assyria, or in this case Babylon, in this uh, captivity. How long, O oh God?" And so he begins to cry out, and he set his face toward the eternal God to make request. And in effect, when you understand it, he does not use the word seek here, but that's what he's doing. Daniel began to seek God. And brethren, that's what you and I need to do more than we do. A lot of us float along in our Christian lives. But we need to learn to set aside time from time to time to fast, to pray, and to seek God. God will not always come down and grab us by the lapels and say, see, I'm here, wake up, get going. We ourselves need to take the initiative, my brethren, and seek God regularly. And especially in these end times, we're going to throw some horrible things. Some of you are going to fall away because you're weak. Some of you are going to die because you don't take care of yourself or perhaps because God just permits some to die, of course, as he has some very dedicated servants as well, and as he did back in apostolic times, to test everyone, such as Stephen, the evangelist, James, the first apostle who was to be martyred. But Jeremiah, or Daniel said, I set my face toward the eternal to make request, notice, by prayer and supplications, that means just repeated heartfelt prayer, not just normal prayer, with fasting. So he was fasting. We're going to begin to fast, I hope all of us, this coming Wednesday evening. Fasting, sackcloth and ashes. Now that was the outward symbol of humility back there. The New Testament certainly shows we don't have to use the outward symbols of sackcloth and ashes, but we certainly do need to learn to fast, to eat nothing, no food, no water, and just cry out to God. And as we get weaker physically to remind ourselves as that happens to us, we are flesh, our body is taking away, our life is taking away. We need God, and we've got to cry out to that great God who gives us life and breath. And so he began to seek God in that way. And I prayed to the eternal, my God, and made confession and said, "O eternal, great and awesome God, who keeps this covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Here's a great servant of God. There were 10, they call them the 10 words, the 10 statements, the 10 commandments, not one or two not nine, and leaving out the Sabbath that points out the true God as the creator. All ten! And that's what the general Catholic, Protestant society around us totally leaves out. Plus, of course, because they leave that out, they don't really know God, and they forget all the rest of it as well. They don't know why they're here. They don't know where they're going. They don't mind. realize they came from a God who really created them. They don't think they're going into his kingdom and live forever and he's going to set up a government here on earth. They think somehow they'll float off to heaven with nothing to do if they even think that far about it. Most of them are falling away from all religion or else they'll just go there for social reasons or to have fun and clap their hands. God is not real to them because they have not obeyed his commandments. They don't know God. They're blinded of course. I'm not down on them. Some of my friends and loved ones are that way that I grew up with, but they have not been called by God and they have not learned to seek God. We have sinned. We've committed iniquity, he cried out. So as you fast, brethren, this coming Thursday, Wednesday night to Thursday sunset, learn to cry out and don't just say, well, help us. Say, Father, please show us where we're wrong. Teach us. Give us understanding. Teach us every lesson we need to learn. Help us understand your purpose in the trials that have come on the church. Help us really understand. Help us really understand your purpose in these terror, terrorist attacks in our nation and in the coming drought, the famine, the disease epidemics, the horrible things. Help us always to understand and to see your hand and to see your purpose and to have faith that you're in charge. Give us understanding. Teach us, O God. Show us. We have sinned. We've done wickedly. We've turned against your precepts and judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. A lot of God's people, even in the church, would give a sermon like this. They, well, here comes another sermon. Mr. Meredith gets kind of loud, but we'll go home later and forget all about it. Won't bother us anymore. We'll wait till the next Sabbath. (laughs) Okay? Some people are like that. They don't get stirred up. They don't want to get stirred up. They keep this, this hand out, this e- emotional barrier so you can't get through to their heart and move them and change their lives. We have not heeded your prophets who have spoken in your name to our kings and princes. O eternal, righteousness belongs to you but to a shame of face that is, is this day to the men of Judah, Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and far off in the countries to which you've driven them. They were in captivity, crying out to God. He says in verse 11, Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse, and it's printed right in the Bible by some of the editors here, as you know, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, the curse has come upon us, the curse and the oath with the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned. We've broken his law and the curse that was predicted right in those verses has come upon us, and that's what he's talking about. Verse 16, O eternal according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury turn away from your city, Jerusalem. And brethren, as these things happen, we don't want to be a cheerleader for the bad stuff. We can say, please have mercy, Father, according to your will. Those whose hearts are right, protect them if it's within your will. Please have mercy on the church and have mercy on others whose hearts are right. That's pleasing to God. We don't, you know, sometimes in the Joplin High School uh, uh, cheerleading squad in football, you know, they, they had the uh, linemen, that the cheerleaders would cheer. They'd say, hit him again, hit him again, harder, harder. The line is supposed to, man, you know, we used to have blocking practice. And every evening when I came home from blocking practice, I'd have my backs of my hands kind of torn up from the cleat marks, you know, that you'd get. You didn't get off the ground quick enough and you could get scratched up in blocking practice. Hit him again. We don't need to say to God, hit him again, hit him again harder. Have mercy, O God. But please, Father, help these people come to understand. And please, Father, help us, this work of God we're doing now. Help us reach out to these people. Help us get to all of them we possibly can ahead of time. And please call more of them. Open their minds. Open their hearts. As these things begin to happen big time, help them to realize we're not against them. We love them. We want to help them. Help them to see and understand and repent before it's too late. And pray that way. Now, therefore, our God, verse 17, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the eternal sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. And we can pray very similarly, brethren. The sanctuary of God, we have here at the Headquarters Church of God, uh, what was it, I think 102 here today. 102. Several years ago, as Mr. Apartin and Mr. Ames will remember, at Headquarters Church of God in Pasadena, we would have 3,000 people regularly, and more than that, on the holy days, sometimes we'd all meet together in one big place in a bigger auditorium. But we'd have the auditorium PM and the auditorium AM and the imperial PM and the imperial AM. And uh, we'd have the uh, uh, Spanish church up in the recital hall. And about 3,000 people were meeting together at God's headquarters. Now we have 102. <laughs> okay? Please, Father, your sanctuary is desolate. The church has been brought down. We don't despise the day of small things. We're grateful to be here. We're grateful to carry on the work that Christ began through Mr. and Mrs. Herbert Armstrong in our modern time. We're thankful for that. But please give us growth. Please give us encouragement. Help us to have a greater impact. We want to do it. We want to do it right. We want to do it with all our heart. We're willing to die for it. But hear our prayer and cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see the desolation of the city which is called by your name. What has come of your church, Father, in the last 20 years? Help us understand, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O eternal hear, O eternal forgive, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. For my God, for your city and for your people who are called by your name. And so while he was speaking and praying and confessing, he says, my sin. He didn't just confess, say, these other people are sinning. He said, Father, I've made mistakes. I've been weak. And I can say the same thing. And Mr. Ames and all of us ministers can. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong. We're all weak in various ways. I don't mean we're doing some horrible thing, but we know we have sin. We all have vanity. We all have self-will to repent of and the sin of my people and presenting my supplication before the eternal God and for the holy mountain, the kingdom of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, one of the great caribs, one of the great three super archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer were originally created, the great three, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly. God sent this angel swiftly Reached me about the time of the evening offering. Now that's interesting. Often God's servants were given a vision or something unusual about the time of the offering. Today we don't have offerings at set times, but we do have the holy days. And God will no doubt send Christ on the Feast of Trumpets because that's what it pictures. Other things will happen on the right day and certain times things will happen, as you see, according to a plan that God has in mind at special times that honor God. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand, and so on. And several times through this prophecy, as you'll know, he says, you're a man greatly beloved, especially in chapter 10. A man greatly beloved, he says in chapter 10, verse 11, he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. Daniel was beloved of God because Daniel sought God I'm not going to go through all the scriptures in the book of Psalms. I'll ask you to look it up because there's so many. But David set himself to seek God. And over and over he said, I will seek God in the night season. And I will seek God, seek God. David sought God. Over and over you'll find that where David was one to seek God, the man after God's own heart. Daniel sought God here, brethren. So we have to understand. And brethren, please understand and realize that you yourself all of you and all of you brethren who hear this later you need to seek god god doesn't come down and grab you and say well here i am and you better do right if you let yourself drift sometimes as i let myself drift on occasion god will cause something bad to happen to me and then if that i don't get it then something worse will happen and he will begin to shake me by circumstances but then i have to wake up he doesn't normally appear to me and talk Someday, maybe he will. I hope he will. That'd be very encouraging. Unless he tells me he's going to zap me or something. But I'm sure that'd be very encouraging. But he lets me seek him. I get the message. Two or three things happen in a row. And if I just get a headache, well, God doesn't bring every little eye headache I get. If I read too much, every time I have a couple ice creams and I get a, a sinus Uh, Problem that doesn't mean God is punishing me but if a series of things begin to happen he allows me to understand something's going on (laughs) God is is humbling you God is chastening you and then I have to start to fast I have to start to pray more than ever I have to seek God and I hope every one of you brethren around the world will understand that just like Jeremiah did like Daniel did The servants of God. Learn to do that. And then you can be greatly beloved of God. And so each of us needs to do that. And I know way back when I was, well, about 14 years old, I began to wonder what was life all about. And my uncle Paul, Dr. C. Paul Meredith, got me listening to Mr. Armstrong's program during the winter of 1944-45 while the Second World War was still raging. And he was saying Germany will come back and they will become the head of the coming United States of Europe. The following autumn, the autumn of 1945, I'd just come back from working on a farm in northern Kansas. And my friend Jimmy Mallett, at the end of the summer, got his neck broken in a wrestling exhibition. I told you that before, but i just bring it in again uh, here to help you understand one aspect. And as I was one of the pallbearers out at the cemetery, and we lowered Jimmy's body into the ground, I realized that Jimmy and I had spent probably hundreds of hours wrestling ourselves. He was a dear friend. He lived right across the alley, and we would try out tricks on each other like little teddy bears rolling around on the Bermuda grass and throw each other down, and he'd try this trick, and I'd try this trick, and we'd you know take turns, and we'd wrestle, and and sometimes see who would win or whatever. We loved each other. And I thought, well, Jimmy's not here. He's in that coffin, and that coffin's going down, 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 and Jimmy will never come back. I was just 15 years old, and it hit me. More than anything else, it hit me like that. And so I began then to hear Mr. Armstrong more than ever, and I'd go over to Uncle Paul's regularly, more regularly than before, up over his garage. He had this apartment, and he would hear. we would hear uh, Mr. Herbert Armstrong coming through the static from XEG, explaining... And greetings, friends, around the world. You remember that? You older folks. And he would begin expounding the way of God, the message of God, the prophecies of God. And I was hearing Dr. Ridpath at her Methodist church. Uncle Paul gave me some Bible commentaries. I began to get other books about the Bible. I began to study some about philosophy and other things. I wrote off to this Dingle guy in L.A. had this picture of the sun and the great wisdom of the East. And right often you'll understand the great wisdom of the East. Well, it kind of went like this, and I could see he had a whole bunch of words and gobbledygook that said nothing. The wisdom of the East, that kind of wisdom, is a bunch of hooey. Most of you know that. If they were so wise out there, how come they're all starving to death and they've never had a good life in recent times? And they, they don't know God. They don't know the purpose of God. They don't know the true God. But I began to realize that. Mr. Armstrong made sense but I began to seek God as a young kid, 15, 16, 17 years old. I really cried out to come to Ambassador College and understand, but all my friends were going to big university and I had a track scholarship at the University of Missouri. Coach Tom Botts, I still kept the letter he sent me because I was a good mile runner and he wanted me to come there and I wanted to come to Ambassador. My folks didn't want me to come and my parents said, well, Roderick, if you want to study theology, We'll get together us and Grandma and Aunt Kay and we will help you go to Southern Methodist University down in Dallas. Later on, it's kind of amusing. That's where they sent some of the Big Sandy faculty of ours. I thought, wow, I could have gone there all those years ago and learned that same baloney that they were learning now at this, this college there. But I didn't do that. My grandmother finally said, well, why don't you just stay one, home one year to junior college and give your time, self to time to think more. So I did. I went to junior college, but what did I study? I was taking a business administration course, but I also decided to take a course, the only course they had in philosophy. So I took that course. I'd already been reading it on my own. And again, I learned it was all a bunch of hooey. But I began to hear Mr. Armstrong again more than ever, finally got my own subscription to the plain truth, as I remember, rather than reading Uncle Paul's copy, and began to seek God finally but the following summer i knew and knew that i knew i had to come out to ambassador college to find out the purpose of human existence i've been praying i was taught by my parents to lay in bed now i lay me down to sleep i pray the lord my soul to keep you know the little bedtime prayer but by the time i began to get in junior high and high school and hear mr armstrong he never explained how to pray but somehow as i began to read the bible just a little bit I began to realize you need to get on your knees, so I would kneel on my knees, didn't have my parents by my bedside by that time, and sort to of pray the Lord's Prayer and then say some other things. And I began to gradually seek God. God didn't seek me, although He was perhaps guiding me. He was perhaps moving and orchestrating things to shape me, to help me. I don't doubt that, but I had my part to do. And brethren, through my whole life, I've learned that I can drift right away. I can quietly just drift right off I could watch more TV, go to more motion pictures. I could begin to do bad things here and bad things. It's so easy. It's not difficult to do that at all. But if I sense I'm drifting or something happens, then I have to begin to fast and seek God. And so do you, because you're no better. We have to learn. We're in this flesh, and all the society around us is Satan's world. In the Methodist Church, we used to sing the little song as little kids in Mr. Corlett's, Mrs. Corlett's uh, uh, Sunday school class. Uh, this is my father's world, ta 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 ta. Remember that, some of you? That was an old Methodist song. Well, it's not the father's world; it's Satan's world. Remember, Jesus said in John, He said, "The prince of this world is coming and has nothing in me." And back in Second Corinthians, chapter four. It tells us that the God of this world is Satan the devil who has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe the gospel. So they cannot understand. Second Corinthians four, verse four. So many scriptures. We've told you those things again and again. But just to remind you, I had to learn that this world surrounds us. Physical things surround us. We've got to break through that and seek God with all our hearts not just on the day of atonement brethren but all through the year you can't afford to drift from atonement to atonement and then seek God once a year you'd better seek God in fervent prayer and meditation and fasting all through the year what's a good way to spend the day of atonement or any day of fasting let me tell you Mr. Herbert Armstrong tells about it I should have brought his book on which page but he he gives that illustration in his volume one of his autobiography. When he first learned how to fast, he decided to devote one hour to Bible study. You don't have to do it exactly this way, but that's what he did. One hour. Mr. Armstrong, you might well why did God choose Herbert W. Armstrong? He had vanity. He got a lot of uh, mistakes he made. I'm not trying to put him down. He was very human, though. <laughs> and so do I have lots of vanity, and so do you. But he was human. I could see that being around him. One reason, among the many others, is whatever he did, he did with his might. He would go all out and because he had a tremendous sense of concentration, and he would just study and study and study and study and analyze, and boy, when he got on the subject of man becoming God, I have told you how he brought it up in one of our graduate schools and said, "Fellows, I don't want to be preaching heresy. This sounds wrong, like a like a heresy. Please tell me if I'm wrong, and we begin to discuss it. But you know how many days or weeks he preached on that? Not weeks, but months, but years. <laughs> Just like some of you older brethren remember the two trees. Some people got sarcastic. They thought, Mr. Armstrong got hold of the two trees, and he won't let them go, <laughs> because he kept analyzing and reanalyzing the two trees near the end of his life. But the same thing about man becoming God. That was the biggest single thing Mr. Armstrong you know, came led the church to understand and he turned it over and over in his mind and every few weeks he'd come back and preach on a different facet of it and a different facet go deeper and deeper and deeper and the headquarters church got that right along with him he kept right on it and he really thought about it meditated on it so mr armstrong would devote one hour to study really studying by the way i've been with him he just concentrates he doesn't think about anything else he didn't have any nice music in the background. He doesn't have the TV over here across the room, blatting away. Just silence, study, study, study. Mind's totally uncluttered, the mind of God. This book is the mind of God in print. The mind of the Creator in print. The Bible, the revelation of God's great purpose. The foundation of all basic knowledge. Does the Bible give you all the knowledge about health? no. It just gives you certain basic principles. Does it give you all the knowledge of history? No. But it gives you a certain basic overview and principles when you read it going way back to the beginning. And then you see the prophecies of the four major kingdoms. And you see how that fourth kingdom, the Roman Empire, has been revived and revived and revived. And one more revival to go. It gives, in that sense, an outline of history. Psychology Yes, the Bible has a lot about psychology. If you read carefully, the book of Proverbs, for instance, you've learned a tremendous lot. Just concentrate on that. Think about that the point of view. How do you deal with others? How do you get along with others? How do you learn to guard your mouth and are careful what you say and how you say it? As Mr. Robbins was saying as part of his sermonette, you know, be careful what you say and how you say it. Proverbs just filled with that and other principles, not just on that, but so many aspects of psychology. You read the book of Philemon and how Paul gently encouraged this older man to respond. He didn't tell him, I'm telling you. He said, "As Paul who loves you. as Paul as as I gave my own life for you. And he he says, I would like to ask you this. And so, oh, okay. (laughs) He has a wonderful approach to psychology in that book and so many other places in the Bible. The Bible gives you the basic principles. It's the mind, the revelation of the mind of God. And if all of you, including you young people around the world who may hear this down in the church in Brisbane and down in Perth and down in Johannesburg and Cape Town and everywhere, understand that this book is a revelation of the mind of God. And you young people, and especially you young men, you can read and really study the book of Proverbs. It's written to young men. It certainly applies to young women, too, very much but it talks more specifically about the type of drives and lusts and problems of young men. Tremendous wisdom there. Many great business leaders, maybe I can go collect these quotes, but I've heard of them in the past very definitely. Some of the top industrial leaders of our nation often read the book of Proverbs. They're not even necessarily religious people. They just get the book of Proverbs, and they'll say, sometimes in an article in the Wall Street Journal or Interviews, i read that book (laughs) i read that book a lot (laughs) they get a lot of wisdom from the book of proverbs so the bible is the mind of god so you study the bible he studied it for one hour then he said he would meditate for one hour how many of you even know how to meditate for one hour i didn't used to and i don't do it as perfectly i'm sure as mr armstrong did but you can begin to study and maybe reread, not for just reading again, but to get the mind of God, reread certain passages as you're meditating and think on that. How does this apply to me? And what's the lesson I ought to learn from this problem I had yesterday or last week? Father, help me to understand as these terrible storms come along, and some of them will hit Charlotte. You know, we in America used to sing when I was growing up, In the second beginning of the second world war and all the way through the second world war, over there, over there, it won't be, we won't be back till it's over over there. The war was always over there. It was never right here. And even when they struck Hawaii, the Pearl Harbor, it was still not on the American mainland, you know, it was kind of over there. Now they struck the Twin Towers and the New Yorkers are thinking, "Uh uh-oh, that's not fair. This is not supposed to happen. It's right here. And if we get another one there, or in Washington D.C., or in L.A., people are going to realize, wait a minute, it's not over there. What's going on, God? Some of God's people may perish. How did you come you let some of your people perish? Well, you want to get the mind of God then. Meditate. And you can go back and meditate on the plagues of Egypt. I don't have time to go through that, but most of you know the first two or three of the plagues fell on Israel. And finally, I think it was the third, wasn't it? Then the people of Israel were delivered. And they did not go through that plague. But the first two came on Israel. And some of us will die, perhaps, in some of the coming disease epidemics. Some, perhaps, will die of persecution. Some, perhaps, will die of you know drought or other things. We say, God, why did you do that? He humbles all of us. He helps all of the body to realize how weak we are. How fleeting life is, how our body is just so weak, and we're here today and gone tomorrow. We need God, we need our Creator, we need to cry out to God. And if you meditate and read these examples in the Bible and turn it over in your mind, then when these things start to happen, brethren, in the months and years ahead, you will have a foundation in your mind, having thought through in advance what may happen you will understand then the meaning of it and you will understand what your reaction ought to be because if it just comes like this and you're not prepared, you can get bitter. You can get bitter against maybe the ministry because we didn't tell you this specific thing or if we told you too much or something or, you know, made some mistake or you can get bitter most of all against God. God, why did you allow my brother to die? We'd all like to live to be 95 or 110 But most of us are not going to have that happen. Some of us will get sick. Some of us will die. Some of our businesses will be wiped out by various things, just like happened in New Orleans. Our whole world will be upset. Oh, God, where are you? Well, let me tell you in advance. He's right here. He's right in this room through his spirit. And he is talking to you through my voice. He's giving you warnings ahead of time. If you learn to meditate, read the Bible carefully, keep reading it over and over from one end to the other, think through the Bible, what does it mean? How could it apply to me? How could it apply today? Then when these things happen, you won't be shaken. You'll understand. Then the third hour, he would pray an hour, meditate an hour. Then Mr. Armstrong would, would meditate an hour. Then he would pray an hour. First study, if I said it right. Then meditate, then prayer. That's a pretty good order when you understand it, although sometimes I think it's good and some of us do better if we pray some first. I often pray just even if it's just 90 seconds to bow my head in the chair and say, Father, guide me as I study your word. You know, sometimes you're not in the study mood, <laughs> so to speak. And if you bow your head and say, Father, help me to study, help me to drink in of your word, help me to feed on Christ, help me to learn and understand and remember this and use it, then you start reading the Bible right after that, one or two or four minute prayer then maybe you'll get more out of the study you do do but first you let god talk to you then you meditate on that carefully and thoughtfully not just on the specific thing you've read but other things in life purposes what's god's purpose in these people that have died what's god's purpose why are we not growing as much as we would like as you meditate and meditate then you can also understand, of course, which a lot of us discuss that from time to time as ministers. God himself said what? He indicated clearly the Philadelphia era would be the era going through the open doors. And we say, and we've said from the beginning, and as Mr. Davis and others of you have heard me say from the very beginning, I have said we, this church, will probably end up being the leftover Philadelphians in the Laodicean era. Mr. Armstrong said, we are in the Laodicean era, and that's where we are. We can't expect to be the biggest single church of God if the Laodiceans are going to dominate the attitude of most people. Why? Why should we possibly think that we should be the biggest? That makes sense. Of course, we shouldn't be the biggest if most of them are Laodiceans. That doesn't mean we'll be the smallest, as it turns out, we're the next to the biggest of any single group. Like Avis car, rental car, you know, compared to Hertz, they say they're number two in trying harder. <laughs> so we're number two in trying harder. But we may not be the biggest single group. Does that mean we're going to stay small? No. I hope and pray some of the other groups grow. I hope God adds thousands, and if it's his will, tens of thousands to the church of God as a whole. Maybe some of them will grow five or ten times over. If we grow five times over, maybe we'll get up to 35,000 people rather than seven Oh, you want to be a big church, rich and increased with goods? No. 35,000 is so puny, it's unbelievable. The Mormons have about 12 million. (laughs) The Adventists now claim 25 million, as I told you, talking to the young guy in the PR area up there that I met on my Washington trip and that I know. And, of course, the Roman Catholics have over 1 billion with a B. 35 million is still like a half a peanut shell in the Pacific Ocean. But we could get up to 30 to 50 million pe- uh, thousand people or whatever later on, and that may well happen. When will it happen? I envision that if it happens, it may happen more the last two to four years of the work, and that last two to four years might not begin for another three to five years, depending on the scenario of prophecy. Then when people really get scared... They're going to be willing to leave their friends. A lot of them divide their ties with their church of God and with us. They say, we know, Mr. Meredith, you're doing the work. I meet them every year at the feast. They say, we know you're doing... They don't say they're not, but the way they say it helps me to understand they know they're not doing it as much. They say, we know you're doing the work, so we're splitting the tie, our tithe with you. So I say, thank you very much. And they come just because they hear I'm there preaching or Mr. Ames or whatever. So they're glad to hear us preach once in a while on a feast or some special time. And that's good. But they say, we're here because of our friends. Now, most of them don't say that, but a few do. They say, well, our friends and relatives are over in this or that group. Well, okay. But finally, when the the prophecies begin to happen big time, then they're going to think, uh-oh, I better get real. (laughs) I better commit to where the work is really being done the most. I'd better get with the people that are really the closest to God that I can possibly do and not play games anymore. Game time is over. It's time to get real. It's time to grow. It's time to go all out for God. So that's going to happen, no doubt, in the years to come. But at any rate, we have to pray and think and study and meditate and seek God in all of this, not our will but his will, and try to always have that attitude in your mind, not my will, but your will be done. Try not to read in what you want to in that, and I have not always tried to do that. Some of you may think that's good, but I've gone back and forth with our leading ministers over these things I'm talking to you about for years, and asked them, "Do you am I wrong, or what do you think, and modify, and we've tried to understand and learn and grow. So we do need to ask God for help and for understanding and the coming terrors, and the coming earthquakes, and the coming disease epidemics. And we really need God. Turn back to John in your New Testament, if you would, brethren. The Gospel of John now. And I'm going to turn to chapter four, John chapter four at this point. <clears throat> Here Jesus Christ is speaking to this Gentile woman that had had all these husbands. And was living with a man now who was not her husband. And he said to her, she said in verse uh, 20, Our fathers, she was a Samaritan, you know, and they had kind of a mixed uh, uh, worship. They mixed some ideas from Judaism together with their uh, uh, pagan Samaritan stuff. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said... Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. That's true. Most of these people, they don't know the God they're worshiping. God's not real to them and they worship just an idea that's not real at all. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. They at least have that basic knowledge of the Creator God. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. He doesn't say a spirit. That's a mistranslation. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And so you have to have God's Holy Spirit to truly help you worship Him rightly. And those of you who are not baptized, you say, I can't do that. Well, you can, because if you're honestly seeking God with all your heart, His Holy Spirit will be with you. That very Spirit with you is what brings you to complete conversion, you see. But you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What is this truth He's talking about? Well, again, you know, John 17, verse 17, Jesus said, Thy word is truth. This Bible is that basic revelation. Anything apart from this, anything contrary to this is not truth. So you have to realize as far as spiritual knowledge, I mean. So we must truly study the Word of God to get this truth and know how to worship God. And, of course, this book, as I say, is the mind of God in print. In His mercy, God has given us in the church of God this right understanding a basic right understanding. We don't understand everything, but we do have this basic right understanding of the true God, of His commandments, His Sabbaths, His holy days, of the overall purpose of God, far better than any other group on earth, that is, the church of God as a whole. And we, of course, must realize, in love, not in vanity, but very nice men... And they are very nice men. I've read, I was reading this article in the local, ch- local, uh, Charlotte News and the, uh, if you have your local paper this morning, uh, about Rick Warren. And, uh, he's very popular now. He wrote, he, he wrote this, The Purpose Riven Life. It's the top of the religious bestseller list now for months. And I was telling Cheryl, and I, I think Mr. Ames will agree, and if you go through the what, his book, I went through part of it, I have it. It sounded to me when I was reading it like he sat in on my freshman Bible class and a lot of my forums in Ambassador College because he talks about organizing your time and studying the Bible and making notes and meditating and this and that. And I used to give whole lectures on this over and over in (laughs) Ambassador College. And I see Thomas nodding, remember from the forums at Big Sandy. And that's what we covered, those exact things. Well, he didn't dig this up, of course, but he learned it from others. And I suppose I got ideas from different ones in different places. No one had it all laid out. But I put things together from my own study and things I had read, no doubt, too. Didn't consciously co- cover them, but anyway, he has some of those things. But, of course, that's good as far as it goes. But what does he study and how does he study? Does he let the Bible correct him when he sees that Jesus kept the Sabbath? That's the whole thing. So they have the whole basic not wrong knowledge. Again, I think he's probably a very nice man. I think if we would milk Billy Graham, he comes down here every now and then for some activity, from what I understand, from mutual friends who've known him. He apparently is a very nice man. From hearing him preach on television, I'm sure he's a nice man. He just doesn't understand. Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch together. You say, well, how could you say that? Well, they don't understand. They don't understand why they're here, where they're going, or how to get there. They just do not. You say, well, there are a lot of nice people over in the Baptist church or the Mormon church or the Catholic church. Yes, God has called us, and some of us are not so nice. <laughs> Why? He calls the weak of the world, the weak, not the great, the weak of the world, 1 Corinthians one twenty-six. We don't have the sophistication and the perfect manners and the, the cultured speech and the savoir-faire and the careful diplomacy of how to deal with people as many of these people do. We didn't grow up in rich homes or always successful people to impart that to us. But when the chips are down, some of those people will eat each other. You don't like me to say that, but I'm just going to tell you that. When they get really hungry and their whole world is shattered, some of them, the woman is so, so delicate and so nice and so sweet, and so sophisticated that she would not deign to put her foot on the ground, God says. Read it. Deuteronomy 28. She will eat the child that comes out from between her legs. I don't want to sound nasty. That's what God says. That's what He says. Deuteronomy chapter 28. The woman that's so nice, so sweet, so cultured, so sophisticated. When people get absolutely terror stricken, their whole world is shattered. And they're starving to death. They do funny things. Dr. Lynn Torrance, the director of admissions and various other jobs he held at Ambassador College in Pasadena and Big Sandy and one of our ministers until he died at a wonderful old age, 87, a few years, a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, I guess, not too long ago. He lived a long, wonderful life. He went through the concentration camps, the baton death march, all that kind of thing lived through it, to tell about it, in a remarkable way. This sophomore boy hit him coming up Lover's Hill or whatever they call it there. <laughs> on the way up there, you turn and go up and then there's the, the, uh, uh big classroom building. And this kid lurched up there in his car and Dr. Torrance was coming across. I don't know if this kid had music on and he was going to go on like this. And suddenly he knocked Dr. Torrance 20 or 30 feet. Dr. Torrance is a tough old guy. <laughs> And he got up and brushed himself and walked on. He said, oh, I'm all right. They made him go to the hospital at least to get a check. And he didn't have any bones broken. He had some serious bruises. He never got mad at the boy for one second. He says, oh, I swear I was, you know, 30, 50 years ago. <laughs> he just carried right on. But God finally let him go to sleep. But he was a very nice man, very dedicated minister of God in our church. And I've talked to him many times. I say many times. I knew him well and loved him and worked with him from 1953 on. When I was his boss, I was the temporary superintendent of Imperial School. And then Ted graduated, and he got to be that kind of being the liaison between Mr. Armstrong and Imperial School for a while and worked hours with Dr. Torrance back then and off and on ever since in various things. But anyway, he told me, and he's told the whole student body a number of times, when he was in the death camps, he said, I have seen Americans and Britons eating each other. He saw that. He was there. He didn't just read about it. He said when they get so hungry, he said they didn't usually kill the guy, but if he was already dying, they sort of helped him. They realized it was too late, so they cut his food. Then before the body turned cold and would get diseased, then they would, you know, begin to cut some flesh and eat. He's seen it go on. When your, body, when your mind is so weak and your flesh is crying out, you know you're dying, your mind snaps. So that's what they did. We're living into a time that we've never lived into before, brethren. We have to meditate. Oh, God, why are you allowing this to happen? What should I do when these things come? So we need to deeply, profoundly meditate. And we need to realize that uh, there are nice people in these other churches. Of course there are. You say there are nice people over there. uh, You know, as I say, Billy Graham is nice, Rick Warren, whatever. And I've heard Dr. Herman Hay, who was a dear friend, and John Halford, who was a good friend in the ministry many years and worldwide, both of them spent a lot of time in Thailand, and both of them said that among the most kind, gentle, sweet, giving, serving, loving human beings they've ever dealt with in all their born days were the Thai Buddhist monks in Thailand. Very sweet, very kind, but as Jonathan McNair brought out, and you can ask him, I just, of course, with him up, in New York, when they get mad at each other, great long knives come out, and they will personally chop each other into pieces. <laughs> personally. <laughs> but most of the time, they're very nice people. Do you understand? They are nice people. They are very gentle. The God teaches us to be, to be gentle. What if I get mad? Oh, well, that doesn't happen very often. Okay, that's good. But they don't know God. They don't have the fear of God. They don't have this book to guide them. It's not altogether their fault. God has allowed them to be blinded. But they're very nice people. Nice people. It's not a question of who's nice and not nice. It's a a question of who has the truth. Who is willing to do what this book says. Who really understands what's going on in human affairs. And the exact prophecies of what's beginning to happen already. And how it's all going to come out that's the proof of the pudding so you have to grasp that fact in acts 4 verse 10 we have a very basic thing but i want to read it for the sake of some of all you older people need it too but any newer people every one of us needs to go back and meditate on basic things sometimes acts 4 and verse 10 jesus had just healed through peter this person and they were accusing him and so he said in verse 10 let it be known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he looked them right in the eye. Were these guys nice? Well, probably, most of the time, <laughs> they were the religious leaders. They were the national council of churches, so to speak, of that day. Very sophisticated, nice, religious people gave great long flowing prayers, wore great long flowing robes, had great deep resonant voices and sounded very sophisticated. Oh, the great God of Israel, blah, blah, blah. And they went on and on with this. Yes, but they didn't know that God. They didn't obey by that God. So here is God's servant saying, this Jesus whom you have crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, by Jesus Christ, whom you murderers killed. This man stands here before you Hold, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders. You should have put the prophecies of this coming Messiah as the very basis of your religion, you guys, you National Council of Churches, you Protestant and Catholic leaders, but you didn't do it. You didn't do it. You left out the very foundation and it's become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Buddhists don't believe in that name. The Hindus don't believe in that name. The Muslims think Christ was a good teacher, but they don't believe in that name as far as Him being the Son of God and the Messiah. They don't understand at all. A lot of nice people, you better believe it. Nice people. This is the basis. The truth not just any, but the true Jesus Christ of the Bible and what he really taught in this word. That is the truth. And that's the thing that is the basis of what we believe. To really understand why were you born. You were born made in the image of God, to be someday like God, to bear his name, to build his character within you. That's why we have character. Not because of God is an old crotchety grandfather who doesn't want people to have fun. God doesn't say sex is evil and liquor is evil and dancing is evil. God says if you break my law, that is evil. But God's first command to man and woman was not to say sex is evil. He said be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. He said to this handsome young man and this gorgeously beautiful young woman, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Love each other and have lots of kids. Sex is involved. Most of you don't know that. I know I'm giving you something new here to think about. God's not against sex. God is not against wine or using liquor in a right way. But he says drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. He tells us how to use it. It's not the thing that's a sin. It's the wrong use of a thing. Anything that breaks God's law, and the more you understand it, the more you meditate upon it, God's law makes sense. His whole way of life makes sense. That whole way of life will permeate the whole earth in a few years. So that's the answer. Why were you born? The real way to peace. The real way to have a good family. The real way for good health. The real way for good finances. The way to eternal life and the family of God. All those things are covered by basic laws and principles in this book, The Revelation of the Mind of God. That's why we have to really study it in detail. Really study it. Turn with me back to John now, the Gospel of John, and again here, and uh, I want to turn to uh, John chapter 6 this time. John chapter 6, and uh, let's begin here in verse uh, 51. John 6, 51, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. You see, you've got to eat of that, eat of that. And the bread which I give is my flesh, I give for the life of the world. He says a little later, verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That is, you have the begettle of eternal life, you have God's Spirit, you don't have, you're not going to live forever yet, but he says, and I will raise him up at the last day, explaining what he means in the resurrection. His resurrection is sure if he eats Christ. For as my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Here's the key. And I in him. If Christ abides in you through his spirit, Again, my favorite verse, Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20. Through His Spirit, He's got to live in you. If He abides in you, you see, and I in Him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so He who feeds on me... You want to feed on something? He who feeds on me will live because of me. Brethren, the way to eternal life is to not feed on food... (laughs) so much, but feed on Christ, and every now and then it's best not to feed on food at all, but to feed on Christ by studying this book, meditating profoundly on this book, praying fervently to God on your knees, and then getting up and going forth saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to live this way of life, I'm going to let Christ live his life within me, and be in a spirit of prayer throughout the day. So during the time you fast again, study and meditate deeply and pray fervently about the key issues of life, of death, of the hereafter. What's it all about? Where are you falling short? Father, are my priorities straight? Why do I allow myself to watch television several hours a week but I don't have time to study the Bible Father, how come I can read all these newspapers and magazines or love stories and I don't have time to get down on both knees every day and pray to you at least 30 or 45 minutes on my knees, my Creator that gives me life and breath? Please help me to get my priorities straight. Think through things like that. Think through things in your personal life, your time, your health, your money, and how you need to have faith in God in every area of life, in your health. And asking God to heal you, doing what you feel you should do as your part, but above and beyond what man do do to cry out to God and let God become real to you because you drink into this word and the more you study it, the more real he becomes. And then as you walk by faith, God will bless you. And, of course, you need to constantly meditate as you fast. Turn to Acts, if you would, chapter 9. This is Acts chapter 9 this time, brethren, and here's the story, as you know, in Acts 9 about how Saul, still breathing out threats of murder against the disciples, went to the high priest that he had, that it might persecute those who were found of that way, the way of life. And on the way, Christ struck him down, totally blinded him, and he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Christ revealed Himself supernaturally. Lord, what do you want me to do? And so He was speechless. He was blind and He didn't know what to do. And so He arose from the ground, verse 8. And when His eyes were opened, He saw no one, but they led Him by the hand and brought Him to Damascus. And verse 9, two nines, Acts 9, verse 9, easy to remember. And He was three days, brethren, not one day on the Day of Atonement, okay? He was three days in a row without sight and neither ate nor drank Paul had a lot to meditate about all those scriptures he'd learned from Gamaliel the great teacher of the Jews must have come back in his mind scriptures about the coming Messiah scriptures about the one who is to be beaten the scriptures about the one who is to be crucified or his bloodshed not for his own sins, but the sins of the world and and give intercession and all those scriptures about the coming one who is to be born in Bethlehem and the the scriptures of the Messiah and all these things begin to come back as God guided his mind as Paul meditated and prayed and prayed and meditated three days and three nights. Then God sent him to Ananias, just a normal disciple. We don't know if he's an elder, maybe not. And Ananias healed him and the Holy Spirit came upon him And then he began to preach right away, as you see in the following verses, that this Jesus is the Christ. Right away. But he preached so strongly that they were going to kill him. So then they sneaked him out of town and he went back to Jerusalem and met Paul and met Peter and some of the others. Yes, he spent time meditating. He had a lot to meditate about, didn't he? Turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, brethren. And I want to give you Some basic things here. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. God tells us through his servant Isaiah. Seek. Here it is. This is what we, you and I need to do. Seek the eternal while he may be found. The day may come when you're scared. You're scared to death. You're running. You're in jail. Things have gone wrong everywhere. Think ahead of time while you can. Seek God now. Seek while you may be he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Are you still involved in some cheap sex habit or pornography? Or smoking or drinking too much or things, cussing, mistreating your wife, stealing. Some of you are. Some of you are out there around the world. We have people in God Church that are weak. We know that. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the eternal and he will have mercy on him. You don't need to confess your sins to me. Confess them to God and turn. Get away from them. God will have mercy. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Don't reason with your own mind apart from the Bible. Try to think, what does the Bible actually say? Nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The great God has deep, profound understanding, far beyond anything we humans come up with. I don't care who we are. If we're an Einstein or a Bernstein or anything else, it doesn't make any difference. Turn to Deuteronomy 4 now, brethren. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And here we find a basic thing given to our ancestors, the ancestors of all of us spiritually, in one sense, and certainly all of us who are Israelites physically. He says in verse 25, Deuteronomy 4, 25, this is a basic uh, statement and a sense of prophecy too. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land, we've been here in America a long time and God has really blessed us and act corruptly and make it a carved image in the form of anything And we worship all these material things and do evil in the sight of the eternal. We have more fornication. A lot of kids don't even like to regard that as a sin. They just sleep around. That's fine. Just sleep around. God says fornicators will not be in the kingdom of God. They will not be there. Adultery, lying, stealing, all these things. If you do these things to provoke God to anger, hell... I I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over Jordan to possess it and you will not prolong your days but be destroyed and the eternal will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number that's going to happen to us brethren you know all the other modern prophecies that say that in detail back in Jeremiah 30 Ezekiel 5 and so on And there you will serve gods, the works of men's hands, wood, stone, which neither hear nor see nor smell. But from there, some of us, many of our friends and relatives out in the world, from there you will seek. Finally, they will wake up. They're scared to death. They've heard our message. Finally, he says, you will seek the eternal, your God, and you will find him when? If you seek him with all your heart, and with all your soul. Now is the opportunity to do that now ahead of time. Why wait till you're in a concentration camp? Why? What sense does that make? Seek God now with all your heart and with all your soul when you're in distress and all these things come upon you. When? In the latter days. This is a prophecy for us now when you turn to the eternal your God and obey His voice. This is what we'd better do as a church. We start, need to start seeking God more profoundly to get more excited about the coming kingdom of God, to get more excited and passionate about doing the work, to get more passionate about preparing for God's kingdom, to get more passionate about warning these people out there. We're not against them. We love them. They need to be warned. They need to be helped. They need to be awakened. God is using us as instruments to do that. So let's be passionate in seeking God in prayer, in study, and in fasting. Learn to study, learn to meditate carefully, learn to pray fervently, and learn to fast more often. And as you fast, use these tools to seek God and draw very close to the creator of heaven and earth, the one who inspired this book and the one who is sending his son back soon as king of kings and lord of lords. And we can prepare for that day. Thank God for that day. Let's get ready.